0: Oh, uh, well, good morning, church. Good morning. What a beautiful day. A great morning of worship. Beautiful day outside. I love this time of year. It's just wonderful. It's wonderful. And Welcome back to our series. We're in a great series called The Kings. And in this series, we're looking at some of the kings in the Old Testament, and we're seeing how they lived in their day and their time and their generation. We're talking about what it means for us is God has called all of us to be spiritual leaders. And you know that everything rises and falls on leadership, right? I and mean, You see that at your company or you see that the place you work. You see that at your school or at your kid's school. You, you see that in families and in nations. I mean, everything rises and falls on leadership. And, and we are spiritual leaders and spiritual leaders are moving people onto God's agenda. And so we're looking at some of the kings in the Old Testament. Some of them did it really well. And some of them were a train wreck, right? I mean, they just messed it up. And, and yet we see God's hand in the Old Testament. We see God's hand in our life. And God's call for us, and we get one shot at this thing, and we want to do it right and we want to do it well. Now we started this series looking at a guy named Solomon, and Solomon was a king who started off well but he didn't finish well. And we saw God's call to faithfulness. And in all of our lives, you know, we have this opportunity to run the race marked out for us with perseverance, but to run it well and to do our best and give our best for the glory of God. And we saw a guy named Jeroboam, and we saw God's call to character. You know, Jeroboam, he didn't have a lot of character in his life. And so as his leadership increased and the capacity and responsibility in his life, it just kind of caved in on him because this relationship wasn't right. This is where it starts, this relationship here. And then it spreads out into everything else. Then we saw King Asa. And Asa, man, he was a great king. He confronted generational sin, the generational sin that had been passed on in his family, generation to generation. He finally said, stop, enough, right? And he had a crucial conversation and he said, we've got to stop. We're going to go in a new direction. He was a great king. Last week, we looked at Ahab. And Ahab, we said, you're known by the company you keep. The influence that comes onto you, but the influence that you have on others. And Ahab had a chance to win, to succeed spiritually. And he failed because he surrounded himself with poor people. And people who led him away, led him astray from God. Now, last week, Pastor Nick did a great job talking about King Ahab. And actually, Ahab is like the worst king mentioned. I mean, So it was he's terrible. It's like no king was worse than Ahab. And today, we're looking at a guy named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, it says, there was no king better. I mean, this guy, man, he just loved the Lord. He lived for the Lord all of his life. And God, I believe, has a word for all of us today. And we're going to find it. In the book of Second Kings. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 18. And uh, let's unpack the Word of God together today. Second Kings chapter 18, maybe you have a mobile device. You can uh, pull up the scriptures on your version. You can take notes there as well as in your worship guide and follow along with what God's Word has to say. Second Kings chapter 18. Now, here's the thing I want to make note of. You know, a lot of people are coming up and they're saying, man, Jeff, I love this series. It's so great. I've never spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. I'm going back and I'm doing research on some of these kings. And I love that. And I'm just so excited because, you see, it's important for us to dig into the Word of God. You know, knowledge plus application leads to transformation. And so, you know, if, if you just have the knowledge but you don't apply it, then you're going, I read the Bible but it doesn't make sense. I don't know how to apply it to my life. But if you just have the application, but you don't have the knowledge, then you're going, wait a minute, I could have heresy. I could have, you know, unsound doctrine. You need both. You need to know the word of God. and You need to apply the word of God. Knowledge plus application leads to transformation. And so as we dig into the scriptures, we want to know, God, what truth for me? How am I supposed to live this out? And so we're growing in our knowledge of the word and we're growing in our application of the word. Now in our chart, I want to put that back up because I just want you to have the framework of what's happening here. Israel comes into the promised land. They say, God, we we want a king. God says, I'm your king. And they said, yeah, but we want somebody else. So Saul becomes the king and he doesn't do a very good job, right? So God says, let me choose the next king. Let me make sure that this is a man after my heart. And so David becomes the king and David right there is known as a man after God's heart. He loves God with everything in him. And, and he becomes the standard by which all the other Kings are kind of measured. After David comes Solomon. And Solomon is the wealthiest man that ever lived and the wisest man that ever lived. And yet, as we said, even though he was David's son and he had a great start, it was the women and the wealth and the world, he just forgot about God. And so the kingdom is divided after Solomon. And you'll see the two divisions there. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, ten tribes in the north, and they go down with Jeroboam as king, and it just goes down a dark path. And there's not one good king after that. You know, Ahab we saw last week, disaster. And then on Judah, you have the southern kingdom, two tribes. And we saw Abijah, we saw Asa, who was a good king, and then nine kings, and then Hezekiah. And that's who we're looking at today. So you divided kingdom... The capital of the southern kingdom is Jerusalem. The capital of the northern kingdom is Samaria. And so we're going through the Davidic line and the line of David that comes down through Hezekiah and will ultimately come in to Jesus, the Messiah, the line of Judah, right? And so what do we know about Hezekiah? Chapter 18, verse 1. It says this. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Allah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. Look at verse 3. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Ashtoreth poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that point the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called the Nashatum. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among the kings of Judah. Man, that great. Either before him or after him. He held fast the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From Watchtower to Fortified City, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Here's what we know about Hezekiah. He was 25 years old when he became the king. Can you imagine that? 25 years old and you take over and you're the king now in this powerful nation and and you have all this you know wealth and money and armies to command he's 25 years old he becomes the king now he reigns with his dad for 14 years so from 729 to 715 BC he co-reigns with his father Ahaz and Ahaz wasn't a great king but when Hezekiah steps into that role for 29 years man he follows God He steps into that role in 715 BC. And man, he just says, we're after God. We're going to be a nation that follows God. We're going to be a family that follows God. We're going to love God. And he ruled for 29 years to 686 BC. And I love what it says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father, David. And you're going, David really wasn't his father. And I'm looking back there. I mean, it was Ahaz, right? Uh, But Ahaz wasn't a great king. David was the one. And he did what was right that his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather did. You talk about a spiritual legacy. You see, all of us are leaving a legacy, right? All of us are leaving a legacy. Every day of our life, we're leaving a legacy for those who will come behind us. And it may skip a couple generations, but you are leaving a legacy of people that are being saying, Hey, what do you believe? How do you live? What's important in your life? And David left this legacy that went on for generations and generations and generations. There's only four kings that are compared favorably to David. Only four kings in the Old Testament. And one is Hezekiah. Another was Asa, which we saw two weeks ago. Another one's Jehoshaphat. And then the other one is Josiah. We're going to see him in two weeks. He'll be our last king that we'll study. Josiah. David's influence went through the generations. And so will yours. And so will mine. I love what it says in verse 7 too. It says this. It says, in whatever he undertook, he was successful. Right? I mean, he loved the Lord so much that God's hand was on him. And whatever he undertook, he was successful. Don't you want that in your life? (laughs) I do. You know, (laughs) Whatever he undertook, he was successful. He held on to God. He didn't just try to do it his way. He trusted God. And Hezekiah was a great king. Now, here's the thing about leadership. It's easy to lead when things are going great, isn't it? I mean, anybody can lead when things are going great. What really measures your leadership is when things are hard or things are difficult. And maybe you're here today and man, you just gotta look at your life and you go, whoa, I'm in one of those seasons. It's hard. Maybe it's hard at home or maybe it's hard at your job. Maybe it's hard just in life. And I want to tell you, God is with you just like God was with Hezekiah. Look what was going on in Hezekiah's day because Man, it was tough circumstances here. It says, In King Hezekiah's fourth year, which was the eleventh year of Hoshua, son of Allah, king of Israel, Shalemanser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it. At the end of three years, the Assyrians took it. So Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year, which was the ninth year of Hoshua, king of Israel. The Assyrians were the big kind of bullies on the block now. The Assyrians had risen to power and came out of modern-day Syria today. The Assyrians, they had an army of hundreds of thousands of men. And they marched against the northern tribe of Israel. And they conquered the northern tribes. They surrounded the city. They conquered the city. And look what they did. The king of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria and settled them in Harah, on Gozen, on the Habor River, and in the towns of Medes. This happened. Why did this happen? This happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but it violated his covenant. All that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. They neither listened to the command nor carried them out. So here's Hezekiah. And he's down here as the king of the southern kingdom. And he's looking up at the north. And the northern kingdom, these ten tribes of Israel, are conquered. They, they're known today as the Lost Tribes of Israel. They're deported off to Assyria. They're not heard from again. And Hezekiah knows the Assyrians are coming. They are coming. You see, Jerusalem was the crown jewel back then. I mean, it was a major city. And it was built up in the mountains. It had the Kidron Valley. It still does today around it. High walls. Everybody wanted to take Jerusalem. And it was one hard city to take. But man, if you control Jerusalem and you controlled that area, that, that was the crown jewel. And you controlled commerce and trade and everything else. And Hezekiah knows the Assyrians are coming. And their army is on their way. So what does Hezekiah do? So he sit back and go, oh man, we're in trouble? Yeah, he probably did that. I mean, he's probably scared to death. But here's what he did too. He started to build a tunnel. See, back in this day, the city was surrounded by walls, but the water source of the city was always outside the walls. You didn't put it inside the walls because the water source could get contaminated if it was a spring or something else. Hezekiah knew, you know, the Assyrians were going to come and they would lay siege just like they did to Samaria, which means they would take their army and go around the entire city. Nobody's getting in, nobody's getting out. And so they basically say, we'll send you a letter. We'll starve you to death. Either you guys surrender and we're going to deport you Probably kill some of you, but we'll probably deport most of you. Or you guys can stay inside the city and just hunker down and die. But we're just going to lay siege to you. So Hezekiah knows that they're coming. And he did this amazing thing. He built this tunnel called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Last October, we were on a biblical study tour with our church. And we went through Hezekiah's Tunnel. But they started inside the city. and They went 50 yards straight down through mountain. I don't know how they did this. I mean, they didn't have caterpillar equipment back then, you know. They didn't have. Like, how are you building and cutting through the... And they're 600 yards outside of the city walls, and they're burrowing down. They started at one end and at the top because they knew they didn't have much time. And so they're cutting, they're cutting, and they're cutting. And somehow, by the grace of God, who knows how, they connected, and they brought the water into the city. And sure enough, the Assyrians come, and they surround the city. If you look at verse 16 or 17 the king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. So the army comes, and they surround the city. The king's name of Assyria is named Sennacherib. And Sennacherib sends his commander out there. They've got all the armies surrounding, and Hezekiah's standing in the city. People are looking over the walls, and they're seeing everybody. And you've got to imagine, Hezekiah's just going, whoa. We're in big trouble. How are we going to do this? What's going to happen? And maybe you're here today and it just seems like the odds are overwhelming in your life. It just seems like, God, do you know what's going on here? This is hard. This is difficult. The commander sends a letter to Hezekiah that basically says, you know, hey, give up Hezekiah, you're done for. Surrender and we'll deport you. Or you can stay in there and we're going to starve you to death. You you don't really have much of a chance. You don't have much of a hope. And the letter comes to Hezekiah in chapter 19. And it says that Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers. And he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, our God. Hezekiah prays for a miracle, doesn't he? God, we're desperate. God, help. And he takes the letter and he goes into the temple. He comes to church and he just lays it out before the Lord. God, here it is. I can't do anything else. God is going to take a miracle. And maybe they're there in your life. <laughs> the odds are overwhelming. You don't see a way out. And he just prays. And then Hezekiah goes and he seeks the prophet Isaiah. You know, most of the time the prophets were coming to the kings and saying, kings, you're not living right, you're not living well. Hezekiah goes and he finds the man of God. And he says, Isaiah, Isaiah, pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. And Isaiah said, I'm praying, I'm praying. And all the nation he rallies around, pray together, pray together for God's deliverance. There's a huge army that's attacking us. It's David versus Goliath. We don't have a chance, it doesn't seem. But we have a mighty God. And he pours it out to the Lord. And look what happens in verse 35. That night, I love that. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. 185,000 men. I mean, just try to get your head around that many people. I mean, just think about the population around here. 185,000 men he put to death. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies, exclamation point. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. You keep reading and you know what happens. He goes to worship a pagan god. Sennacherib does, and his two sons cut him down and kill him. God delivered Hezekiah. Can you imagine? They wake up the next morning and they look out over the walls and there's all these dead bodies and they never pulled a sword, they never fired an arrow. They're like, what just happened? And the armies pack it up and they're leaving. I mean, it's a miracle. Now, a lot of people go and they look at this and they read through historical records and they say, well, you know, really what happened is Hezekiah blocked up the water supply and so they didn't have fresh water, so cholera broke out and all these people died because of this disease that spread through. You can say whatever you want to say. The fact of the matter is that night, 185,000 people died and the nation was delivered. It was a miracle. There's no other way to explain it. And the fact is this, the same God that did miracles back in the Old Testament is the same God who does miracles today. He's the same God that is at work in your life and in my life and in our church. And God is God and he is sovereign over all. And you never give up because God is for you. And if God is for you, who could be against you? I love being a pastor. I got to tell you, I just, I I love it. Because every day I get to see God do new things. I get to see God do amazing things. I've seen God heal people. I mean, I really have. I've seen God save marriages. I've seen God transform people's lives. I mean, people who were so far from God, it was then their wives would pray and say, man, my husband, there's no way he'll ever come to know God. I mean, he is just so far from God. And you're watching transformation take place and this guy's living for the Lord and involved in church. You're like, that doesn't happen. I've seen God provide buildings and land. I've seen God provide financially for people. I mean, I've just watched it. There's nothing like it. And there's a God who does miracles and he's just saying, come on, come on. Trust me, follow me. I want you to hear this morning from two of my favorite people. Uh, Sarah Rodriguez is our national director for Justice and Mercy International in Brazil. Alina is our national director in Moldova. And they came in uh, to be here for we had our Justice and Mercy International gala on Tuesday night, which was incredible, and Sarah and Magno, her husband, flew in from the Amazon, and Alina and Vlad, her husband, right there, they flew in from Moldova, and uh, we're just so proud of you guys, I gotta tell you, you know, and as a church, most of you guys know this, but uh, we started going, we started as a church 11 years ago, going to Moldova and doing mission trips, and after we were there for a little while, we said, we've got to do it more, and so we started a nonprofit um, six years ago called Justice and Mercy International. And these are our national directors. And so we pray for you guys, and uh, we are so proud of you. And you're on the front lines of ministry. And so tell us, uh, Sarah, Alita, tell us just some of the miracles that you see and what God's doing in the Amazon and what God's doing in Moldova.
1: Right. Um, Well, Jeff, it really, to me, it feels like the the last we have... Mm The more God ends up doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel in the Amazon, there's a lack of so many things just lack of medical care, lack of resource, electricity. They're just basic basic things that we have Mm -hmm. in the cities, and they don't get to have any Amazon. And as JMA Mm -hmm. goes into the jungles and we meet, you know, local pastors and we meet the people Mm -hmm. in the village and we hear, you know, their stories and we minister to them, a lot of them come to Christ and they depend on the Lord even to remain as believers and because they don't have a Christian like you guys do (laughs) there's not a Christian community for them to just have support Mm -hmm. and grow spiritually and so as I leave with our teams and we just pray Mm -hmm. and we ask that God will pastor, will shepherd those yes. people and that he will be, you know, their protector and their God and their provider even mm-hmm. uh, for fish and for manioc, that the land will be healthy and grow and all these things. And as we go back, we start hearing stories like Pastor Cosme which um, is a pastor that I got to meet last year and he's sitting there telling me the story that his wife was really really sick and the church had been praying for her that you know for healing the doctors couldn't tell really what she had and in one night she had a very severe crisis and uh, the ladies from the church came over and they were with her and praying that God would do something mm-hmm. in a village that literally they have no electricity they have just river houses like along by the by the river and And, uh, he said that his wife just passed away in his arms and, um, the ladies just did not take no for an answer. And they did, they, they prayed and they asked God, God, bring her back. You know, we need her. She's been a blessing to us. And they prayed over her and I'm watching a lady sitting by him and I'm going, is this the dead one? (laughs) Like, and and it was, it was, it was his wife. And uh, he said, God brought her back to me. Mm He knew I could not make it without mm. her. And uh, as we continue to go, we see areas that are very positive of malaria. And they have no doctors and mm. no medication. And they say, we, God heals. Mm. God you know, takes care of us. And um, I will finish with this. Mm. And this is a very vulnerable and personal mm. story. But I pray that encourages you as God taught me this lesson. Um, last year in June I met this boy named uh, Marcus he's now three but he was two he was very tiny and he has this skin uh, condition um, that is he's actually one of our special kids Mm -hmm. in the Amazon and it's just this uh, disease that cracks his skin open and it's really severe and when I met her I cried and I I felt so bad and in my spirit God told me Sarah you have got to pray for healing over this kid and I'm going what did you say? You know like what did we do like how do you do that really have you done it and god said just pray for healing over him and i'm like i don't do that like don't i need like oil or like should i put hands on this boy like what do how do i start it mm. and god said just pray and and my you know when your heart beats and mm. you know you you just know that you have to do something but i wasn't brave enough to do it mm. i was like what if i do and god you know, God doesn't heal, or like, you know, especially in the village that everybody knows you. And I'm like, uh, uh, uh-uh. uh. And after that, I wish I could tell you that, you know, I went back and I saw that boy again and I prayed over him and that he's healed today. Uh, but that's not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did learn that God is the same. And he will challenge me to call upon that same God for him to do miracles today. And I'm not letting another chance go by, for sure.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Sarah. Wow. Alina, tell us in Moldova, I mean, what are you seeing God do there?
2: Well, um, being a part of JMI family, I can say um, I can see miracles every day, and this is such a blessing. I can even say that the life of every child that is saved from trafficking, from using drugs, alcohol—this is a miracle. Mm-hmm. This is a miracle that we can see every day. We just have to open our eyes and open our hearts. And I'd like to tell about the miracle that we saw when God provided. You know, very few of us understand what it means not to have a home because we all have a home, we have a loving family. But for these kids who grew up at the orphanages and who have not seen their families and parents for 10, 12, 15 years, this is nothing. They don't have a notion of home. So when we bring them to our programs, This is something we have to teach, that this is home. Before, we had a home that we rented. But we prayed, we prayed together with the kids, with the teams, we prayed with everybody. And God gave us a home. You know, now all those like 14 girls have a home. They have a place which they can call a nice, warm and cozy home. And it's such a privilege to hear them say, I'm going home, what time will you be home? And even more than that, when these girls get married, many, many other girls will come and they will have a home. Mm-hmm. So praise the Lord for such a miracle as giving us a home. Mm-hmm. And another small thing I want to share with you is a story about Tudor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of our boys in our transitional living program. Probably many of you know him because he's one of the like outstanding boys. Um, and a couple of years ago, when he was getting ready to graduate the orphanage, um, he wasn't in the program. He was not supposed to be. At least we thought so. <laughs> and uh, so i get this phone call from the team coming from falesh and they say we're bringing tudor over and ask well uh We don't have a place for him because the house was really small then and we don't have a sponsor. So, you know, what do we do? But we trusted the Lord and he made a miracle. You know, this guy is like one of the greatest kids in our program. And now when you see him lead the Bible study for more than 30 people, you will never believe that this is the same child that put Jan's pants on fire a couple of years ago.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Well, you guys, y'all are doing incredible work. And I want us just, church, just just pray over them right now because they are on the front lines of ministry. So would you just pray your heart as I pray aloud over them? Father, thank you for Sarah, for Alina. God, just thank you for the call that you've placed on their lives and for their leadership and JMI and JMA and what you're doing in and justice and mercy. And, and Father, I pray just a special anointing of your Holy Spirit. And God, that you would give them eyes to see the needs. And Father, that you would give them the hands and the time and the abilities to meet those needs. And Father, Father, I pray that they would always know that you are for them. And God, as they have staff there in Moldova and the Amazon, and I pray that they would be great leaders. And I pray, Father, that you would work through them with uh, orphans and special needs children. And Father, with people in the poorest of the poor, as we give out food bags and minister in these areas. Bless Sarah, bless Lena, God, and use them for your glory, God. And help us as a church just to be praying for them and encouraging them. And we are so thankful for what you're doing, Father bless them today in the name of jesus we pray amen amen thank you guys so much thank you so much let's give them a hand wow it's incredible all right there's four principles of spiritual leadership that i think we learned from hezekiah four principles i want you to get this i want you to know this number one is this spiritual leaders pray spiritual leaders pray i i gotta tell you you know a lot of times prayer is kind of our last resort you know, we're kind of do-it people. We want to go and take care of it and make it happen. And then if we can't do it, then we pray. But spiritual leaders learned the importance of praying first. Hezekiah, when he got the note, what did he do? He went to the temple. He laid it out before the Lord. Lord, here it is. There's a massive army, God. We don't have a chance. We don't have a hope. God, here it is. And he prayed. And I just want to ask us today, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? How are you praying? Sometimes our prayers are so benign, aren't they? When we pray, we go, well, God, if you come through, great. If you don't, that's so fine because, you know, I got money and I'm okay. And God's going, no, 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 no. Pray boldly. Pray. Jesus, it says, would rise up early in the morning and go to a solitary place to pray. If Jesus needed to pray, we need to pray. Prayer is the way God changes things. Prayer is the way God changes us. And prayer is so important. Oswald Chambers says prayer is not preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. And I believe as spiritual leaders in our homes or in our church, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, we are called to pray. So how's your prayer life? The second thing is this spiritual leaders act. Spiritual leaders act. You know, you know when, when Hezekiah heard the word that, that here comes the Assyrian army and it's massive and they're mean and it's, it's not looking good, Hezekiah, you're in bad shape. He didn't sit back and go, oh, woe is me, we're in trouble, you know, we're, this is going to go bad, we don't have a chance, we don't have a hope. He prayed and then He acted. He said, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have to build a tunnel. We've got to get the water supply in. I heard what they did up there in Samaria. They circled the city for three years. We've got to get the water supply in. It may be a long battle, but God's going to deliver us. We don't know when. It could be a long time. It could happen overnight or it could happen in a few years, but we're going to prepare. We're going to get ready. Spiritual leaders act. Saint St. Augustine, Saint Augustine said this. He says, pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depends on you. That's St. Augustine a long time ago. Pray as though everything depends on God and work as though everything depends on you. We pray, but we also act. Some of you, you're looking at your life and you can see, man, I mean, there is financial disaster coming. You know, I mean, just you're looking at the checks that you're writing and the bills that are coming in and you're going, this is not gonna add up. And I'm okay right now, but I can see in a few months or a few years, you know what, you don't just stay in that spot. Go to financial peace, get some help. Maybe you look at your marriage and you say, Man, this marriage is it's just not going the way it needs to be going. It's going down quickly. Get some help. We have Cindy Hayes on our staff. She's a counselor. She'll see people for free the first visit and refer you out. But take a step. You're looking at your job and you're going, This isn't working out. I don't know where it's going. You know what? Send some resumes out. Do something. Spiritual leaders act. Spiritual leaders pray. Spiritual leaders act. In our lives, man, that's the call. For all of us as spiritual leaders. The third thing is this. Spiritual leaders expect miracles. Spiritual leaders expect miracles. You know, Hezekiah is like, God's going to deliver us. I just believe it. I don't know when. I don't know how. Because the odds are overwhelming. But God's going to come through. What are you expecting God to do? A lot of times we don't expect God to do anything, right? And what are you expecting God to do? What are you praying that God would do? What are you praying that God would do that you can't do on your own? It's got to be God. That's why I love being a pastor. Every morning I wake up and I'm like, "Okay, God, what are you going to do today?" <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, you just do miracles all the time. What are you going to do today? God, open my eyes that I can see. God is working. God is moving. God is alive. You know, He didn't set the world in motion and back away and go, "Hey, good luck, figure it out." You know, no. God is actively evolved in our lives. It's just open my eyes and expect. God to move William Carey that great missionary he said expect great things from God attempt great things for God you know a lot of times we don't see God do something because we're not even trying we're not even stepping out in faith we're not being bold expect great things from God and attempt great things for God and in your area of leadership in the place that you are your home in your community in your church in your workplace with your generational family what are you expecting God to do And number four is this, spiritual leaders give glory to God. Spiritual leaders give glory to God. I love what Hezekiah says. He says, you know what, God? You know, deliver us so that all the nations of the world will know that you alone are God. Not that me, look at me, Hezekiah, check me out. I was so smart. I did such a good thing. No, 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 no. God, we want everybody to know this was you. Whenever God does miracles in our lives, and God has and God will, I bet if you look back over your life, you can see God's hand of deliverance in a lot of different ways in a lot of different times when you prayed like crazy and God came through. When God delivers, we say thank you. We stop and we recognize. We give God the glory. A lot of times we're already moving on to the next thing, right? And we're already moving on. And God's going, whoa, 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 whoa. Just a second. Did you see that? Did you see what I just did? Did you see how that thing worked out with that job and that finances? Did you see how that thing worked out in that relationship? Did you, did you see what's going on here? Oh, God, open my eyes. Thank you, God, that you're at work. Her name's Jazgul. She shared part of her story on Tuesday night at our Justice and Mercy International Gala. And I met Jazgul a few years ago in Moldova. Just an amazing girl. And as she told part of her story, she said she was born in Kyrgyzstan. And, and her and her mom had to flee from her dad because her dad was beating them so much. And they took refuge in Moldova. And in Moldova, her mom just had a mental breakdown and began to beat her and her sister. And some people found out about it and they took and put Jazgul in an orphanage. And as a really small child, she's growing up in an orphanage now. One night, her mom showed back up years later and came in and took her and her sister out of the orphanage. Said she was going to take them to see their dad in Kyrgyzstan, but she knew, Jazgul knew that wasn't right. She took them to the train station and, she was going to sell her two daughters. But she was 10 lei short. Moldova currency, 10 lei is worth less than a dollar. She was 10 lei short. And Jazz Gould said, even at that young age, I, I knew that there was a God, that somebody was protecting me. She was taken back to the orphanage and where she grew up. And she said, my ninth grade year at the age of 15, everybody has to leave the orphanage. She said, I knew the statistics were overwhelming. I've heard about trafficking. i heard about friends that I knew had committed suicide. I heard about organized crime. And she said, I would lay in bed at night and pray to a God I didn't know, but I would just pray for help. I think about Jazz Gould and I think about the army surrounding and just thinking, wow, what chance do you have? But little did Jazz Gould know that halfway around the world, in middle Tennessee, God was planting a church. And a church that took seriously James one twenty seven where it says the kind of religion that God sees as pure or faultless as this, is to look after widows and orphans in their distress. And the church that started doing mission trips and going, and six years ago that started Justice and Mercy International to take care of orphans and the poor and special needs children around the world. And when Jasgul had to leave the orphanage at 15 years old and had no place to go, we had a transitional living home that Alina helped her. Move in. and jazz Gould that first year being in the transitional living home, she learned about Jesus and she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ and she was discipled in the faith and then she started learning English and she learned English and the second year she was there she started learning job skills and jazz Gould was doing so well that her third year she became an assistant leader and working with the other girls that were coming into this transitional living home and coming out of the orphanages and out of broken places and hurts and needs in their lives and jazz Gould was pouring into them and just two months ago, Jasgul enrolled in Lipscomb University. And she looked at me and she just said, Jeff, can you ever believe that an orphan from Moldova is now being able to study in the United States of America? She said, only God. And I said, you're right, Jasgul. Only God. You know what? I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'll tell you this. Never give up. Never give up. We serve a big God and a God who is bigger than anything that you and I will ever face. A God who conquered death. A God who made a way for us to have eternal life. There is a God who is for you. And miracles come in all shapes and all sizes. And miracles come at all kinds of different times. But there are miracles out there. And if you, in your life, just hold on to God and never give up on Him. Because He will never give up on you. And He loves you more than you even love yourself. He is for you when you feel like everybody in the world is against you. He is for you. And God loves you. You need a miracle? Do you believe? Do you trust? Do you pray? Because there's a God who will hear and a God who will answer. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. But I know this. The same God who was there in the days of Hezekiah is the same God who is here today. And that same God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or ever imagine. And the miracle may come tonight, or the miracle may come in a few years, but I'm going to tell you God will hear and God will answer. Hold on to Him. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been trying to do life on your own. I want to tell you, that's where it starts. Right where you sit today and just praying, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I know you're drawing me to yourself. I know it's not an accident that I'm here. God, I want to be yours. Maybe in your life, your, your prayers have been benign. You, know? you just haven't been praying for God to do anything huge. Today, God's just saying, come to me. Pray boldly. Trust me. So, Father, here we are. Your disciples today, in our day, in our generation. And, oh, God, I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray, God, that as spiritual leaders today, that we would pray boldly. That we would expect you to move and expect you to work. That, God, you would increase our faith in you. Open our eyes, oh, God. Allow us to look back on our life and to see how you've delivered us from one thing, from the next thing. God, that you've always been faithful. Open our eyes to the future, to know that you are sovereign over all. And Father, we put our faith and our trust in you. You are our God, our King, our Deliverer, our hope, our joy, our peace. You are God Most High, and we trust in you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.